Psalm 49, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With a harp, I will expand my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come? when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly, no payment is ever enough, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendour of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendour will not descend with them. Though while they live they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. How can we make sense of the world? How can we make sense of the world? Things aren't right. And you look around you, locally, internationally, the wicked seem to be winning, and the righteous are suffering. If you have your Bible open to Psalm 49, just flick forward a few more pages to Psalm 73, and what Asaph describes as his struggle could have been something posted on Facebook this morning. Verse 3, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Drop down to verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. That's what we see around us, isn't it? And it's properly unsettling. Whether you're a Christian this morning or you're not, this, this isn't fair. It's the world we live in. But it's not just. It's not right. And Asaph's really honest about that in Psalm 73. It made him question why he'd even tried to live a godly life. Verse 13 of Psalm 73, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. The difference between the suffering he endured as he tried to live a righteous life and the peace and the ease and the comfort 
of these wealthy but wicked people leaves him and rocks his faith. Look back in verse 2. As for me, my feet had almost slipped and nearly lost my foothold. Now, Asaph wrote that thousands of years ago, but that psalm could have been written this morning. And maybe in light of everything that's going on in your life and in the world around us, you feel like you could have written it. We live in a day where we see evil leaders like Putin surrounded by staggering wealth and luxury. And in their wickedness and evil inflicting policies that are causing misery and death for millions of people around the world. We see countless men and women and boys and girls on the brink of starvation because of the greed of powerful people who are manipulating their power and their wealth to hoard rather than to bless. This isn't the way things should be. And you may be feeling this morning that you feel like the feet of your faith have almost slipped. This isn't right. If the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper, what's the basis for life and living? Where's the hope for justice and for fairness and for what is right? That's the riddle of life that we all have to wrestle with. So I ask you the question again, how can we make sense of the world? If you go and ask friends, neighbors, people you work with, Perhaps the most common answer is we can't. Actually, we just have to make the most of now. For millions of people in our country, life is all that there is. The here and the now is what we've got, so all you can do really is to make the most of now. But that worldview is based on materialism and self-centeredness. Breeds violence and inequality, and ultimately, it will never satisfy you. What we all need to hear is God's answer to that question. The Bible gives us the only true worldview, and it is both much, much better and much more serious than what we might otherwise think. That's what Psalm 49 is here to show us, and in many ways, it's a very different psalm to many, many other psalms in the Psalter. We've looked at a number over the course of this summer. There are 150 of them in your Bibles. Most of them are songs or prayers of praise and thanksgiving to God or of lament and mercy, but they're all directed to God. Not so Psalm 49, not directly. Psalm 49 is different. It's a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm given to us to teach us, to give us understanding. And what it teaches us is so important that everybody needs to hear it. That's what verses 1 and 2 are emphasizing. This psalm isn't just for you if you're a Christian this morning. It is for you if you're a Christian, but it's not just for you. This psalm is for everyone because it's speaking about a problem everybody faces. And so this psalm is for all people. No matter your position in life, no matter how rich or poor you may be, everyone needs the wisdom 
of this psalm. Wisdom in verse 4 that the psalmist himself first received from God. He turned his ear to a proverb, hearing what God had instructed him. And now he's explaining the answer of the riddle of life to us. And in verses 5 and 6, he coins this, he phrases this riddle as a question. Why should I fear? When evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. Here's the problem, point number one. Today, it looks like the wicked and wealthy are winning. Psalm 49 is wrestling with the same problem as Psalm 73. The psalmists are surrounded by those who are evil and wicked. And just like Asaph, the question is, how should we respond? Should, should we be fearful? Is this life it? And if it is it, the fact that the wicked and the wealthy seem to be winning, does that just mean that we're losers who are going to lose out? Is this inequality? Is this evil all there is? You, you read through the beginning of this psalm, and everywhere the psalmist looks, he's not just seeing that money runs to money. He's also seeing that those who have this wealth trust in it. They don't just trust in it, they boast in it. And they don't just boast in it, they abuse it to inflict evil and suffering on others. Over the summer, I met a man whose family had been the victims of an unspeakably evil crime. And over the weeks that followed, the police arrested their suspect, who eventually stood trial and was found guilty. But during the passage of that process, it came out that he had done it before. And when the public learned that this evil act could perhaps have been stopped if justice had been served before, the outcry was massive. Everyone wanted to know, how was this guy still free? Why hadn't he been brought to justice before? And the answer was because he had money. So much money that his family had cheated the legal system and have been able to help him escape justice. That's the kind of problem we're wrestling with in verses 5 and 6. The psalmist isn't condemning everyone who's rich. He's speaking to those who trust in their wealth, who boast in their wealth, and use their wealth as a shield and a sword to inflict injustice on others. Today it looks like the wicked and wealthy are winning. So how can we make sense of the world? And in verses 7 to 12, we're given the context that changes everything. God tells us that today isn't all there is. One day, everybody will die. For all the money that some may have, for all the things that they're able to do in the world or escape from in the world, all the money in the world cannot buy you a longer life. Wealth cannot help you escape death. Verse 7, no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. Verse 9, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. 
Death is the universal leveler. It's a respecter of persons. Nobody gets treated differently. We all die. Look at verse 10. The wise die. Everyone can see that. And the foolish and the senseless also perish. Rich and poor alike, the homeless people on the parade are going to die just as much as Vladimir Putin. But when all die, no one's wealth changes anything. Try as the Egyptians and the Egyptian pharaohs especially did. You can't take your money with you. In fact, verse 10, it's all left to others. Some people during their lifetime are so wealthy that not only do they have the privilege of living in incredibly beautiful places, but they even name the places after themselves. Of all the places I looked at this week, I saw this stunning home which sits just between Monaco and Nice. And you might recognize it, although you can't quite see um, the steps here that are the real giveaway. Um, if you've seen the film uh, The Little Red Shoes or the Alfred Hitchcock film uh, To Catch a Thief, this site originally belonged to King Leopold II of Belgium. And it's known as Villa Leopolda. And Leopold planned to gift this enormous and beautiful house to his mistress. But when he died, she was evicted and his nephew took over control of the house. All of this power and control, all of this money and all of these plans for how this property was to be used. And Leopold is in the grave and others have taken his wealth. However rich or poor we may be, the psalmist's conclusion in verse 12 is true. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beast's that perish. Now he's not saying we're like the beasts in the sense that an evolutionist would say that human beings are like the beasts. Come back this evening, Matthew's going to help us look at Psalm 8 and see the unique identity and nature of human beings. That separates us from all of the animals and the beasts. What the psalmist's saying here in verse 12 is that just like animals, human beings' lives end in death. Adam's sin in the garden has ruined all of creation so that every part of it is groaning under the weight of sin. And our lives, just like the lives of all living beings, come to an end. And when it does, money can't help us. Can't help us for at least two reasons. We've seen one already because we can't take it with us. Whenever somebody who's rich and famous dies, people will often ask, how much did he or she leave? And the one true answer to that is always everything. Because you can't take any of it with you. But you know, there's another reason why money isn't going to help us when we die, and that's there in verse 8. The ransom for a life is so costly, no payment is ever enough. Human beings are made in the image of the one true living God. And our choice to live against him, to sin and rebel against the one true living God, that choice is so costly 
That sin is so evil that nothing we could ever repay could possibly cover the cost. We can't even begin to bargain in the right ballpark. It's like a child walking into a Ferrari garage, asking if they can buy an 812 GTS with a few moldy peas. We have nothing, nothing with which to pay for the incalculable cost of our chosen rebellion against the living, eternal God of heaven. Which doesn't answer the problem to the riddle of life. We're not there yet, but it sets the context. Yes, the wicked and the wealthy may look like they're winning today, but today isn't all there is. One day, everybody will die. And when we do, all of the wealth that some have trusted in, all of the power that some have abused, all of it will be worth nothing. Verse 12, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. There's the context. Now we're ready for the choice. Because verses 13 to 15 gives us two ways to live in light of the fact that everyone dies. Number one, the way of those who trust in themselves. But that leads to eternal death. Look at verse 13. This is the fate, or better, this is the way or the path. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherds. Drop down, their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. Everyone who trusts in themselves ends up on death's home pastures. And there are no Villa Leopoldas on these pastures. In fact, the Bible tells us the bodies of the self-reliant will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. That is the eternal future of all who trust in themselves. And left to ourselves, that would be all of us. But, praise God, there is another way. Verse 15 is what one writer calls one of the mountaintops of hope of the Old Testament. Here's the psalmist's confidence. But God. Praise God for all the but gods in the Bible. God breaks into our misery and our suffering and does what only God can possibly do. But God, verse 15, will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Here's the second path. It's the way of those who've been redeemed by God, and that way leads to eternal life. God promises in this psalm, looking forwards, in our experience, looking back, but God promises to do what no human being could ever possibly do. In the book of Deuteronomy, this word redeem is only ever used of God. He and he alone is the one who redeemed, who bought back the Israelites from Egypt. And he's promising here that he and he alone will redeem, will buy back our eternal future and the judgment we deserve, but to ransom us to pay the price for the judgment of our sin and for the death we deserve to die, God himself 
has to pay the price. He has to in order to satisfy his own justice. God isn't only a God of love and mercy, but also of justice. And that's how this psalm is pointing this enormous light on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who would redeem us. It's what Peter says. If you look forward into uh, the first letter that Peter wrote, chapter 1 and verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. When you read the records of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, you will see that he lived the perfect life none of us ever could. When you look at what the Lord Jesus Christ did upon the cross, he took upon himself all of the judgment for all of the sin everyone who would believe in him has and will ever commit. So that as he died, the penalty was completely paid and the death we deserved to die had been endured. The Bible says that it's only as we trust in him that we can have this wonderful confidence that the psalmist describes that God himself will surely take me to himself, not leave me on death's pastures because death will be their shepherd, but be taken to the God of eternal life himself, which is exactly what Jesus promised. When he came and comforted those who were grieving, Jesus says in John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, by which he was meaning with my Father in heaven, and beyond that into the new creation, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ offers to you this morning. If you will confess your sin, stop trusting in yourself and believe in him. He promises to redeem you from the judgment that you and I would otherwise deserve. He promises to take from you the fear of death because he promises that when we die and everybody dies, he will take us to be with him forever. Not because you deserve it, not because You earned it, not because you're rich enough or even poor enough or because you're anything enough. Because the Son of God has set his love upon you and has bought your eternal soul. And that's how we answer the question of the riddle of life. How can we make sense of this world? You can't do it if you only look at this world. You can't make sense of this world unless you lift your eyes up. Unless you see that there is death coming. Unless you read the wisdom of God's word and see that he has come to rescue us from the judgment we deserve and prepare us for the eternity that is to come. And that context completely changes everything. Because if this life isn't everything, In fact, in the context of eternity, you can't speak about time and eternity in the same way. I appreciate that. But this life is an infinitesimally small fraction of the time in which we will spend with God in all eternity. 
So here comes the answer to the riddle of life. If God himself has shown his love to us to rescue us from the eternity we deserve by the cost of his own son, can we not trust his wisdom for today? It doesn't mean that everything suddenly gets easier. It doesn't mean that the wicked and the wealthy suddenly start behaving differently. But it assures us that as we look out into all of this, we know the love of God and can trust the wisdom of God. And that's how this psalm finishes. The writer takes that eternal perspective and applies it to our lives today. Here's the the encouragement. Live today in light of eternity. Verse 16. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they'll take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed. And people do praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. Not just because they're rich, that's not the point of the psalm. Because, verse 20, people who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Verse 19 is is a basic description of hell. But as you work through the rest of the Bible, we are told more than that it is a place where you will never again see the light of life. It's not just a place of darkness. Jesus and the apostles teach us that hell is a place of eternal punishment. Hell is a place where everyone who trusts in themselves and refuses to love and obey God will suffer for the same eternity that others enjoy the blessings of heaven. And left to ourselves, that is all any of us deserve. But God. But God hasn't left us to ourselves. He so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So can I plead with you this morning? If you've been wrestling with the riddle of life because all you've been looking at is this life, if you know as you look into your heart that what you have been trusting in, what you are relying on, is the things you've earned, the things that you are entitled to, the things that other people may think are so significant about you, please lift up your eyes and see that there is a judgment to come. Beyond the judgment to come, there is an eternity to be lived. And God has come to save us from the eternity our sins deserve. Turn away from all of the things you might rely on. Come to the God who has given everything that is his in order to buy you back. And trust him. But this psalm doesn't only plead with those who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves. This psalm is also written for believers like us 
who are wrestling with what we are seeing in the world, who are struggling with that sense of perspective. Everything seems to look like the wicked are winning. And this is written for people like us who are having those heart-sinking moments like Asaph had, feeling like the feet of your faith are nearly falling. For all that we know, in, in a church family like this, where we seek to teach and encourage each other with God's truth regularly, there's, there's so many things that we know, aren't there? We know that life is brief. We know that sin is deceitful. We know that money can be manipulative. But for all of those things, it's really hard not to get drawn into hankering after them in our hearts. The Puritan pastor called Thomas Manton who knew that. Thomas wrote, speaking bad words of worldly riches does not exempt us from trusting them. I don't mean this glibly. I don't mean to belittle anybody's statements or truth. All of us can say that there is danger and many wrong things that can be done with money. All of us can say that. And however rich or poor you may be, it is one thing to say that, but that doesn't mean that our hearts don't long for them. Perhaps especially this week. As all of us are thinking, well, how is this next increase in the energy cap going to impact my life? It's hard not to be anxious. It's hard not to be jealous of people who have much more money than us. But God's word speaks into all of those struggles. For those of you who are genuinely fearful about not having the money you need, our God calls us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Our God calls us to trust in his promise to provide. The Lord Jesus Christ said, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Can you trust him? You can't see him. Everybody else seems richer. Your heavenly father redeemed your eternal soul. By sending his son to the cross. He's the one that you come to and trust. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well as we steward our gifts carefully and love one another sacrificially. God promises to provide what we need. For others, perhaps the fear isn't so much that we genuinely won't have enough money to pay for what we need. For others, if we're honest, the way that the next few months and however long it lasts for is going to impact our life, is going to change the way that we spend, it will. It's not going to put you perhaps in a position where you're genuinely unable to make ends meet. And for many Perhaps the cost of living crisis is going to test what we value most more than whether we can pay for everything we need. 
if we're honest, we know what Thomas said is true, that speaking bad words of worldly riches does not exempt us from trusting them. And perhaps for some, God will use this season and his word, Psalms like Psalm 49, to reveal to us that we are relying too much on the money that we ourselves control and not relying on God and his infinite resources to bless. That's a lesson we all need to keep reapplying to ourselves. It's a lesson that parents need to keep impressing upon our kids. Not just in the way that we speak about money, but the way that we live week to week, the the way that we show by our choices and the things that we do, what it is that we prioritize, what really matters and what it is that we're building our lives upon. It's a lesson you need to keep rehearing if you're a teenager or a young adult because you are being pummeled all the way through the week by a worldview that says what matters most about you is how everybody thinks about you and how much you have. Please do not base your identity, your hope upon those things because they will always fail and they will fail most spectacularly when you need them most. And it's a lesson many of our seniors have learned through hard-won years in your lives. We need to hear from you. We need to hear you sharing with us that life is brief. That it does sometimes feel like it was only but 10 minutes ago that you were sat on the floor with your kids surrounding you for the bite-sized treat. Life is brief. Money is fleeting. Fame doesn't last. The thing that sets everything in its proper place and is more valuable than all things is knowing that the God of heaven and earth has redeemed your soul by the shed blood of his own son. And if you have him, you have everything that will last for eternity. We need to remind each other of all of this because we live in a world where we will constantly be tempted to trust the things that are fleeting. We live in a town where statistically speaking, that temptation is greater in the prosperity that the Lord has blessed us with. And so we need to keep reminding ourselves of what it is we will trust, what it is we will boast of, and what it is shapes our 